It's the Bob McCowan Podcast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. It is McCowan and it is Shannon. And uh, today, a, a celebration of sorts of a, an event from 50 years ago. And you all know what I'm talking about the 72 Summit Series. Um, and with us today, Scott Morrison rejoins us. He's uh, got a new book out, 1972, the series that changed hockey forever. And the coach of Team Canada in 1972, Harry Sinden, hmm. joins us after these messages. McCowan, Shannon, back with you. It is, uh, as everybody I think in this country knows, uh, 50 years since the uh, 72 series was contested. In fact, it uh, concluded in September of uh, that year. Scott Morrison is back with us uh, to chat a bit about it. And the coach of that team, Harry Sinden is uh, with us now. Harry, let me start with this. When when the series began, did you think your team was ready? I didn't think so at all. Um, although we trained very hard in Toronto, what, the weather was stifling, as I remember. Um, what, what made me believe they weren't taking this serious enough was I showed them a film I had an old video uh, of the 1958 World Championships uh, between Whitby Dunlops and, and actually the final game was with Russia. And uh, I wanted to give him just a feel of what playing international hockey felt like and how the teams reacted. And uh, Actually, most of them were laughing at the film as it was playing. It was it was not a very good, not very good film. So, but nobody was taking it seriously. So I shut it off, and um, I kind of thought that they they don't realize what they're getting into here. Not that they were totally underestimated the the Soviet team, but that they would they could beat them even though they were a good team and uh as a matter of fact i wasn't i wasn't really any different than they were at that point i you know i had all these great players from the national hockey league and, and uh russia had won the world championship i think every year since 1958 mm -hmm. maybe one year they were going to be good. I didn't think they'd be good enough to beat, you know, the star lineup that I had. Hey, Harry, um, uh, one of the, one of the things I've always wondered about, you had won the Stanley cup as the coach of the Boston Bruins in 1970. And then correct me if I'm wrong, but you got into a contract dispute with the, with ownership uh, and left the team. You said you were going to make more money in construction in Whitby. Um, uh, did you have any inkling that there would be this tournament, this uh, this matchup, uh, and that you could fill the hockey coaching void by coaching Canada? No, I had no idea. I don't think anybody did at that particular time. I was with the company I joined for almost two years when Alan Eagleson called me and asked me if, if I was available to do that job. And... Uh, I think that's one of the reasons he picked me was I was one of the few people available as 
the pro training camps were opening and, and their coaches uh, were not available. So it just so happened the company I had joined was falling into bankruptcy at that time too. So uh, I certainly was anxious to join the team. What did you do? Well, you had your training camp before the series began, obviously. You had a sense that your players weren't taking this undertaking as seriously as you would like, that this Russian team was pretty good. I don't think you knew or nobody knew how good they were, but um, what did you try and do to motivate your group of guys? I mean, they're very talented players, but were you were you on them all the time? No, um, I think we trained a little harder than you normally would when you first come back from the off season and go to training camp. And I knew that we would be I, one thing I knew, and one thing they expected was that we'd be up against a really well conditioned team. So I, I really didn't think that I thought we would have trouble, but I didn't think we'd lose any games at all uh, at the beginning of the series. And uh, I tried not to portray that that feeling to the team, but, you know, as I told you, I showed them a, from a film of 1958, and it was hilarious to them. And, uh, you know, we went and watched the Russians practice when they first arrived in Montreal. And they were fooling around on the ice trying to give us a, a false impression of what they could really do. Our, our, a lot of our players were in the stands at the forum. And uh, I don't think, you know, watching them practice gave us any indication of how good they were because they were, they were, you know, putting on a show because they knew we were in the stands. Right. But, but um, it didn't take long. It took that first game. And there was no doubt from that point on that we were up against a really good team. One of the stories Brad Park told me first about the training camp was that uh, his, his wife was expecting, they were close to, she was close to giving birth. So he was staying at home in Scarborough. And uh, he said he'd come in for practice at the training camp and he said you could tell that the boys had a good night <laughs> so the, the level of seriousness wasn't quite there and and you have to remember too is that they were just constantly be fed the information that they were going to dominate that the a the series wasn't going to be that intense and they were going to dominate it and they would win all eight games and they win them all handily there were a handful of voices you know harry obviously had the international experience some others like Brian Conacher, Billy Harris, the late Billy Harris, the old Leaf, who had coached in, in Europe, knew how good the Soviets were, but they were lone wolves and their voices weren't being heard. So the, the mood going in was that this was going to be easy. Everybody was going to play because you had 35 men on your roster, Harry, and that was the promise. Um, but they all knew, even though they went up 2 nothing in that first game in Montreal, six minutes in, you know, Brad Park says, I turned on the bench. And he said, we're looking at each other going, oh, my God, what have we gotten into here? This is serious. These guys are in great shape, and they're good hockey players. This isn't – we've been sold a bill of goods here, and that was the feeling at that moment. Hey, well, 
What do you remember of the two nothing lead? Did, did did you did you feel the same thing that Brad did? That oh my goodness, here they come. Well, yeah. I mean, from that point on, we we really made so many mistakes that, and and they took advantage of them that we were completely outplayed in that game. Got worse after it was two nothing. So, uh, you know, I. To tell you the truth, I did know more than any players knew not how good the Russians were, but that they were good. I mean, <laughs> it was it, it was it was a job getting anybody to believe me. But uh, uh, and you know, there was always a danger of pushing the fact that the Russians are really, really good. And then we turn around and beat them in the first game and probably never be able to convince them again. But it didn't happen that way. So maybe maybe it's just as well we lost the opening game because nothing got their attention more than that. How much of a distraction was all the Bobby Hall stuff, the WHA stuff with your old your old goaltender, Jerry Cheevers, not being available? Was that an issue? Not really. Not really. There was... Uh, there was a lot of talk about it and you know there was a, certainly there was no love loss between the two leagues so uh, president campbell was adamant that you know they wouldn't be behind the team if the wha players were going to play so you know uh, it really it really didn't interfere with the preparation or that i could tell i mean we would have been a lot better team with with Hall Cheevers, or who was hurt, mm -hmm. and not for that reason, uh, and a couple of other really tough players. Uh, but we had plenty of firepower and plenty of plenty of good players. Uh, you know, not that we were. In my mind, I knew we could not roll over the team, but I was certain we could beat them. My recollection was that while, while certainly the Russian players, the Soviet players, were high-quality talent, their system was also different from anything that you guys had seen before. It was a system that was not played in the National Hockey League. They kept the puck um, a long time. They rarely shot it in. They came in waves of two and three at a time. How problematic was that for your team, Harry? Well, I thought it was a big problem in the first game. And John Ferguson and I John Ferguson and I sat down when we got back to the hotel in Toronto till about you know, two o'clock in the morning, figuring out if there was anything we could do to kind of offset the way they were playing. And uh, we came up with an idea and introduced that the next practice and we stuck with it the rest of the rest of the series and it was our team improved very much because of it although we had to introduce a lot of the players that hadn't played in the opening game because that was a kind of a promise made that everybody would play one game if they if they attended the training camp so we did realize that I, I can explain it to you shortly. In the normal course of events in, in uh, NHL at that time was that the two defending wingers would be responsible for the two 
attacking defensemen on the points for the other team. And the centerman would be down. It's pretty well the way it's played today. Uh, the centerman would be down uh, helping out uh, our de the defending defense. So we changed that and we, and we put the centerman back between the two blue, two blue line defender, two Russian defenders, and brought the two wingers down into the corners. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, even if they got the puck open on the point, they were very, very reluctant to shoot from there. So, you know, that system I just outlined to you does give the points. It would give the points in the NHL a lot of time to shoot the puck. Russians were very hesitant to shoot from the blue line. That might have been because their blue line than ours. And so we felt it was risky, but it was something we could do. And then we released our two forwards down into the corners to help the defensemen so they wouldn't get stuck. Our defensemen were getting stuck two on one all the time, either to the left or right of our net. And by bringing the forward back, the players told me that helped a lot. So uh, it was the one change we made that I thought had some effect. I certainly remember that, Scotty. I think you do too, probably because you know there was the sense that the Russians almost passed the puck in, into the net as often as they could. Is that your recollection too? Oh, absolutely. And Ken Dryden talked about how both, both he and Tony Esposito had to change their styles mid-series because you know in the North American, the NHL game, the goal used to come way out of the net to cut down the angles, take away the big slap shots coming down. And because they, the Soviets held up the puck so long and worked it right into the crease, they had to learn to play back in their net. Mm -hmm. And so it was a huge adjustment mid-series. And I think, Harry, the other adjustment you made for game two, uh, you got a little more belligerent, a much more physical style. Yeah, we did. We, we put uh, Cashman, I think, and J.P. Parisi in the lineup to – really good checking forwards and uh, we played a little more, you're right, belligerent type of game. Uh, and we avoided, mostly avoided penalties. So we weren't that bad, but it, it helped with every change we made helped. And of course we, we played a good game and we were fortunate to beat them. Pete Mahavlis scored a shorthanded goal, which was a big goal in that game. So every every game was really really on the on the tough side of winning, and uh, you know as the series went on and the promise I had made uh, to the players that they would pl play at least one game, that was made because we we're putting a team together. They wanted thirty five players on the team, which was really kind of impossible for a coach to manage properly. Uh, so I thought if we could work it around so so we would change the line on, enough in the eight games that everybody would play up at least once. Could be could be worked out. But we started to lose and looked like we could lose the series after the Vancouver game. We, we had to break that promise. 
And uh, I, I told the players at the time, um, if you haven't played, I, I don't know if you're going to, because we got to win this series. And you know what else happened was that the drama of the series had really built up in Vancouver. And I don't think our players, until they, they realized it prior to that, but until the Vancouver loss and uh, the crowd reaction to the team uh, was, was so you know, aggravating to the players that uh, it was very, very difficult to not to get upset with, with Canadian fans. And it was very, very difficult for Canadian fans not to get upset with the Canadian players. So we left Toronto or at Vancouver. We left from Toronto, but we left Vancouver in a and put, putting our fans in a in a very angry mood against the players. And the players, as Phil Esposito pointed out in Vancouver, uh turned around to be angry at the fans because they felt they were they were uh, they were trying as hard as they could to win um, but we we calmed down after that we had a lot of discussions about you know about the fans especially and in retrospect none of us could blame the fans I mean we were we were there you know, star attraction in sports in, in the world, really. And here we were in big, big danger of getting beat by a Russian team, which was, you know, was not our friend in uh, mm. any matters, never mind sports. Right. So, so it, it really struck home by the time we got to Russia. Hey, so Harry, I got to I got to ask you: Did after the after the Esposito speech, which uh, I'm led to believe the players really didn't see or hear it, um, after the speech and 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 the pressure in Vancouver, do you think there was a, ever a chance that the players were not going to go to Moscow? No, I don't. I don't recall having that thought at all. Uh, there was what there was amongst many of them was, you know, am I going to go and never play? You know, my my home team is starting training camp pretty soon. I'm going to be in Moscow and not playing. There was that. That was the repercussion of having 35 players on a team, you know, and in danger of losing the series uh, with the promise that they'd all play. So we were in a situation one way or the other that the players became very uncertain, many of them, as to what to do, whether to go to Moscow, go home. And some of the younger players uh, want to go home from Moscow. And in a couple of places, their managers of the NHL team came over there and tried to persuade them to do so. And uh, eventually, four or five of them did leave. Whose idea was the thirty-five players? Um, I think mostly it was Al Eagleson's. Well, part of it too was that you didn't have anybody to play any exhibition games, so you had to have 
that many players to have inter-squad games to create two lineups. But I was going to say say well with the – it was when you got to Sweden – I mean, one thing people forget is back in the day, 50 years ago, the players didn't like each other. If you were on Boston, you didn't like the Rangers. Toronto, you didn't like Montreal. Players didn't interact the way they do today. And you had on that roster, you had players from 10 different NHL teams. And it took a while for them to come together as a group. And it was after the uh, the disaster in Vancouver and, and feeling all that heat and the wrath of the fans that when they got to Sweden for those two exhibition games and a bit of a mini training camp there, that they started to come together as a group. And they realized that, Harry, you told me this, that they realized that the pride, not just for playing for your country, that came into play, but for the pride of being an NHL player and being the best in the business came into play of having that being challenged. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Sweden was a bit of a a, a potion for us to bring all those thoughts together and and try and change our attitude, players who play and players who don't play. Sometimes when players don't get to play, they, you know, rightfully so, they're upset and they moan and groan around the locker room and it's not helpful. Uh, But it wasn't only that team. A lot of teams do the same thing. But we did come together a lot more. We split the team in two and and went to one city in Sweden and the other half went to stayed in Moscow or in uh, Stockholm. And we had a good to do with the fans and <laughs> and Gila Point put on a very funny show on the ice. He entertained them. We seemed to feel a lot more comfortable uh, in our skin with 35 players uh, in a bad, tough situation. You know, we were facing the fact that we were going to play on a larger ice surface, which requires a lot of change in thinking for players. Uh, and it accounts for why the Russians played different than we did in Toronto and um, in Montreal. Uh, when they when they dropped down to a smaller ice surface. So we had to overcome that, and Sweden helped us do that as we played played two games there on the large ice surface, and we practiced on the large ice surface. So that was very helpful. We also had a and Al Eagleson, I give him credit for this. He he got us together and as we were going to Moscow and the players, some of the players were worried that their wives weren't going to be allowed to come to Moscow. And we straightened all that out, and Al was, you know, put those kind of things to rest. And and I think we left we left Sweden going to Moscow with a with quite a different attitude. Hey, before we before we go to break here, uh, to Scotty's point about rivalry and not liking each other, there you are, the former coach of the Boston Bruins, and you get and recruit John Ferguson to be, uh, you know, a Montreal Canadian, a Boston-Montreal rival. You get John Ferguson to be your assistant coach. How did that work? It worked terrific. But how did it come out? How did it come about? You know, I can't remember exactly. It it all happened in a meeting we had in Toronto before the series or before training camp began. And we were discussing such things as, 
what to name the team. You know, we have teams like and team NHL, you know, all, all kinds of names like that until we finally settled on Team Canada. And and we had a discussion about uh, other coaches and you know, we had played I had played against my teams had played against John Ferguson an awful lot. And the word on John Ferguson, which I got from people like Serge Safard, was this is one of the best teammates you could ever have. And he think you know, it might be needed uh, to have him when you got such a diversity of players from different teams trying to make it out. And and he was true. It worked out. I you know, we had some players who were very quiet and nice and some who were a little more rambunctious. <laughs> and I would always send Fergie with the rambunctious crowd on one airplane. I'd go with an easy-going crowd on the other. <laughs> so uh, he was very, very helpful to me, and he, he stepped into a number of situations that only a player like him could handle. Well, and a lot of the players had great respect for Fergie because he's only one year removed from the NHL and everybody knew what kind of player he was, the heart and soul guy, what the Canadians toughest nails, but talented as well. And so there was a bit of, we could have a bit of a relationship there. And he did help calm down some of the, the, we told the story about after the morning skate in Winnipeg, when some of the guys were grossing on the on the bus about not being in the lineup and being upset about that. Well, he could go talk to them and have that kind of one-on-one that uh, calmed everything down and uh, put them in their place in some cases. And uh, I mean, the other part is, is that initially when the roster was being assembled, they wanted him to be a player before he he said he wanted to be a, a coach before coming back to play because he'd left the Canadians. Hmm. Well, I, I don't think he was the type of player. That, you know, he, he was not a strong skater. I mean, he was a strong skater. We wasn't a fast skater. We were trying to look for speed in every player we picked because of their speed. Some of our players weren't weren't speedy, but they were great players. But John was – I don't ever remember him being, considering him as a player. I mean, he was – he was going to be our coach or my coach uh, from the very beginning of that meeting in Toronto. Right. Guys, we have to take a quick break. We'll, uh, we'll do that. We're with uh, Harry Sinden and Scott Morrison as we reflect back on 50 years ago, the Canada-Russia series of 1972, back after this message. McCowan, Shannon, Harry Sinden, Scott Morrison, as we look back on uh, – Canada, the USSR in 1972. My recollection, guys, was um, before the tournament started, there wasn't a whole lot of talk about the, the Russian team itself, and I think mostly because most of us in this country didn't know that much about them. But one thing I recall was um, that Tretiak was considered to be a subpar goaltender. I, re- I remember somebody referred to him as a junior B kind of goaltender. Harry, as the coach of the team, was it was that the word you were getting? Was that Tretiak was vulnerable? Yeah, we sent a couple of guys over to Europe to scout the Russian team, and especially the goaltenders, and give us an eye. 
give us an idea of what they were like. Well, their report was, they were dreadful. Their report was probably true, but it turned out the night before was his wedding night. And, and this was the first day after his marriage, whether that had any effect, I don't know, but, um, uh, he sure, he sure did not play that way in any game no. against sensational. On, on the topic of goaltending, you ended up with Ken Dryden, Tony Esposito, and Eddie Johnson, a guy you were familiar with. Uh, did you had you plotted the, the the starts for your goaltenders before the series started, or for the four Canadian games and the four Moscow games? No, I, I hadn't really. What what kind of dawned on me as the crescendo of Canadian fans concern? kept rising was that the pressure on the team was one thing. You know, when you're on a team, you, you can you can ease some of the pressure by going over things with your linemates, uh, your defense partner, your whole team. And the goalie is kind of independent and isolated from a lot of that, uh, that type of mental preparation uh, because, you know, Goaltending is a lot like putting in golf. You don't, it's not golf, it's, it's putting. And goaltending is not hockey, it's goaltending. And uh, they're on their own a lot. And, uh, and I think that I thought, and this is why I changed them all the time, whether right or wrong, uh, that the pressure built up between with one day off between games w- would be too much for them to overcome, even though they think they could. Uh, and so I kind of kind of came to the conclusion that's better to take a chance on switching them, alternating them. Well, really? I, I, tell, I tell you, I, I, I mean, as a as a a teenager and as a fan of the team and a guy who was, we, I, I can I can assure you, everyone of was as, felt we were as involved as you were in the tournament. Um, I think we were still shocked that you went with Kenny in Game Eight rather than Tony, who played a really good game in Game Seven. Yeah, uh, and Kenny was good in game six, and we didn't play him in game seven either. <laughs> oh. uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's, um, it was something we, John first and I talked a lot about. It's usually one of our biggest decisions. But once we decided that, you know, for a goaltender in such an independent position and all alone to get ready for the game mentally, and the pressure was, it was enormous, especially when we're in serious danger of losing. Um, our conclusion was that, you know, they may not be ready back-to-back games like that. So right or wrong, that's what we did. How much stress was there living and staying in Moscow in the hotels and everything other than going to Luzhniki? Was it, was it, was it tough? No, not really. I mean, we had a little problem with the food. And I think we were spied on a lot. You know, uh, that was a pretty... Spied on, uh, like like just with, with uh, KGB guys around or, or ele- electronically? Yeah. And, and we thought we were anyway. <laughs> uh, and uh, we had... Uh, 
you know, for instance, we had we had a time when we really couldn't get the kind of food we wanted to eat. The players couldn't, especially in days off. And Whitey Stapleton came into the lobby of the hotel after practice and said he had just the Canadian embassy had, had alerted him to a really good Chinese restaurant in Moscow. And he said he was going to go over and get the food if everybody would give them what they wanted. Well, the wives were in the lobby and the players and guys were shooting it, shelling out egg rolls and, and whatever they wanted. And he was trying to, he was taking, he was writing it down. Well, there was no Chinese restaurant. It was a really good full ploy. And uh, there was no place to get Chinese food, but he made us believe there was. And we had, we ordered our food from him. <laughs> and of course, didn't get it because it didn't, didn't exist. It didn't even go. He said, I forget, but I think he ended with saying, there's no Chinese food. <laughs> <laughs> food was a, a bit of a, we got, we, we sent a lot of food to Finland and then they shipped it over. And then we had a bunch of steaks that were disappeared strangely so but we got around that okay it was never a game pre-game meal for players was always was always okay so game five is um you lose game five the first game in in russia and now you're down three one one the only way you win the series is to sweep the last three did you think that was even possible did you have any level of confidence after game five that you could still win the series? I'll tell you I did because game five, as it turned out, even after game eight, was really the best game we played in the eight games uh, that we played, I thought. And and we we looked like we, we should have maybe won that game. But, you know, in sports, you can't say should have. You either win or you lose. We lost. Uh, but it did be, give me some confidence that we weren't done yet. And uh, to think that we could beat them in, on their home ice three straight games, I wasn't such a fool as that. But uh, I, I thought we'd have a chance to win game six. And we kind of concentrated on it, as the players did, on their next shift, their next line change, and, uh, and the next game. And somehow squeaked out of it the um uh, the the story of the the three or four thousand canadians that traveled to moscow did, did they have an effect on on your team did they have an effect on what you did uh they had an effect because all the players were very aware that they were there very aware and there were stories of them a couple of them getting arrested or not arrested but taken out of a bar or something like that. So they were very aware that we had fans there, big time fans. It wasn't that the rink was just full with the, with the Russian citizens. So I would say yes, because, you know, when you got, if you go on the road with your team and, and like when the Bruins go to New York, it's not very far. We get a lot of Bruins fans go down with us, the same as New York and Boston. I'm sure Toronto, Montreal, uh, 
it's good to know you've got two, three thousand fans in the stands that are yelling for and screaming for you. And that's what happened there. We knew they were there. <laughs> they made certain we knew they were there. And uh, it couldn't have done any harm, I'll tell you that. Well, a lot of the players told me that after that fifth game, when they had you had the big lead, you blew it, you lose 5-4, that at the end of the game, I mean, the, the last memory was losing in Vancouver and being booed off the ice. But after that game five loss, those 3,000 or so fans stood and gave a standing ovation as the players left the ice. And it resonated. Everybody brought that up on their own without me ever asking the question. That moment resonated that they really felt, and with all the telegrams that had been sent over and the postcards and all that, the words of encouragement, and all of that, I think, was a result of Phil's emotional speech after the Vancouver game of telling the fans, hey, these guys are good. We're doing our best, but these guys are good. Stick with us. And I think he turned the fan base around in that regard. And then again, as I say, those 3,000 fans cheering after that fifth game really meant something to the players that they felt they were playing for that maple leaf on the on the chest i agree with you and i think going back to what i said earlier i thought the fifth game was the best game we played and that probably you know eased their conscience a little bit as well <laughs> and uh, anyway they the fans that were there were great and, and the canadian fans turned around but it's like you know, after you've been in this this business all your life, you find out that the answer to fan problems is winning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, now, if if game six or game five was the best game, game eight had everything, including the famous Alan Eagleson march across the ice. If memory serves me. Um, I, I can can you remember what what happened there and 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 what that meant to the team? I can't tell you what it meant, but I I think I remember we got a mis misconduct penalty. JP Parisi, I think, um, and we got a, a penalty, a double minor or something, and. Uh, the players were arguing like hell with the referees who who uh, who were questionable to start with. We had a big fight before that game with the the Russian management over who was supposed to referee. And the ones that were supposed to referee, they said, were sick. We had to take these other guys. Uh, it kind of all boiled over there. And Eagleson was, of course, aware of all the problems prior to the game with the referees. And uh, unlike Alan, he lost his cool. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember. I think it was Pete Mahavlis who went and rescued him, right? Yeah. Then the whole team went on. Yeah. Well, well Al got, at that point, he, the J.P. Parisi was in the first period when he got an interference penalty. And the referees, to Harry's point, were just horrible. And they'd seen them earlier in the series. And he went and he had his stick over his head, skating at the Kampala, the referee, um, you know, fake, thankfully, a, a, a swing at his head with a stick. So he got the misconduct and kicked out of the game. And then Eagleson lost his mind. It was in the third period because you were down 5-3 after two periods. 
Uh, you got the one quick early in the third to make it 5-4, and then Cornwallis scored to make it 5-5, and the goal light didn't go on. And that's when Al made the charge to the penalty box, to the scorer's box, to make sure that the goal was going to count. But meanwhile, like all around the rink was lined with soldiers and, and police officers and that sort of thing. And so when Al made the charge, uh, the Army jumped in, and they were pummeling pretty good, and that's when... Team Canada emptied the bench, and Pete was the first one over the boards to uh, rescue Al and throw him back onto the ice and run across. And Pete says, it wasn't the smartest thing I did in my life. He said, I'm standing there with a hockey stick, and they're standing there with rifles. He said, could have had a different ending. <laughs> what, uh, Harry, what did you say to the team after after the second period, or what did, did anybody say to the team down 5-3 after two? Well, I'll tell you what I said, and I'm sure the players had a lot to say while I was in the other room. They, you know, that's how they get each other up for the next period. But, but I did say to them, look, we're down 5-3. You know, we used to switch ends after 10 minutes in the third period. Mm -hmm. I said, we cannot allow a goal to let them go up three goals or we are dead in the water. And, and it's the thing we're going to try and do is play as strong defensively as we can for the first 10 minutes. And, and hopefully they don't go ahead by three. And if we're still down by two with, with 10 minutes to go, we will do everything we can offensively, take risks that we would never take in regular game, things like that. Fortunately, we scored right away. To start the period, make it uh, five four, so that changed the strategy a bit. But we did not want to fall down three goals to that team, and uh, I thought there would be an anxious anxiousness amongst the players when the period started to try and tie it up in the first two minutes or something. And I tried to caution them that you know let's not let's not get carried away in the first 10 minutes, so we can never come back anyway. And uh, it didn't work out quite the way we said it, but it did It, it did help. They, only, they didn't get any goals. Henderson was the hero, Harry, but Phil Esposito took that team on his back, especially in that eighth game and that third period. Sure did. He sure did, and really in the whole series, he was a monster. And... Uh, you know, on all facts of the game, he killed penalties. You couldn't get him off the ice half the time. An old play guy, solid guy in the room. And he, he really, the sweat just rolls off of his face when he's playing like that. He was that way. I noticed it during the whole game. He, he was he was just a powerful, powerful player for us. Actually, that's the best hot. I mean, he plays so many good games for me in Boston. But that that's his, that's the best leadership game and role he he's ever played. I think. Do you, um, Harry? The, the the actually the other guy I have always thought never got credit for his role of, on the team because Henderson got lots of credit, Phil got lots of credit, Yvonne Cornway really played a hell of a series, didn't he? He did. He did, and that was a great goal he got in that game. I mean. He, he played well with Phil. He had the speed. 
you know, to come from behind Phil and and catch him and go by him and and Phil would hit him with a pass on the fly. We had a lot of that going on between those two. So he was he was a joy too, Yvonne. He still is. Yeah, sure. Now, as a total aside, um, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I I don't think I'm wrong, but you finished the eight game series uh, against the Soviet Union, but you didn't come right home, did you? No, they'd arranged for a game in Prague. <laughs> so that was <laughs> how many guys rolled their eyes after when they told, told we're on our way to Prague. <laughs> I was one of them. I didn't make the game. <laughs> I, I got, I really got a bug and I got at a high temperature, stayed in the hotel all night, but uh, nobody wanted to do that. So we counted that as one game. If you hadn't played yet, you played in that one. Yeah. <laughs> when I was doing the book, Harry told me, he said I had to go around. Well, he, Harry, as he said, got sick, but he said we had to look around and see how many guys were sober enough to play the game. <laughs> After the celebration of game eight. That's right. It was almost like that. The trip from Moscow to Prague was, it's not that far, but it was, it was, it was joy. And nobody was forward to the game the next night. But, you know, it was kind of Stan Makita tribute game. Yeah. Anything else. So, um, I, as, a, as a proud Canadian, as we all are, I mean, it was, it was a milestone event. Did it change hockey at all? Oh, I think it did. I think it did in in a couple of ways. One, we became aware of a level of conditioning that I don't think we played under in the NHL that they were in. Not that there's that much difference, but they did have a, a level of a conditioning that seemed to be a little bit superior than us. And, of course, all the all the people in Canada who knew how to fix that um, came up with conditioning programs for our team. But it was a factor, I think, especially at the beginning of the series. Uh, the other thing that changed was the, the Russian team was very, very, took very few penalties and very careful not to take them. To them, a penalty was you know, it was almost as bad as shooting the puck in your own net. They they didn't want them, and they and we were and we still are a little careless with that. Our teams are a little more careless with that part of the game, and I think we calmed down some since then. You remember the NHL was full of bench clearings and everything else, um, but uh, you know. The big change it made was the politics of the situation changed and Russia's players were allowed to come and play in the United States and Canada. And as you know, almost not at the very beginning, but almost every year afterwards, some of the very best players in our league are from, mm-hmm. are from Soviet Union, from Russia, Czechoslovakia, European. They're, they lead our teams in scoring. They, they're always amongst the top 10 or 12 people in the league. And, and so that series allowed us eventually to, for them to let their players come to the 
United States and Canada and play. So we got a lot of good players out. Every every team in our league uh, benefited from that. And uh, guys, we are it opened we are, the door for international hockey. We had Canada Cups after that. We sure. had all the best on best competition uh, came out of that. And to Harry's point, you know, Phil Esposito mentioned it in in the forward to the book that he said when you look at the game now, you don't think of a guy as being a Russian or a Swede or a Canadian or American or a Finn. You just think of them being players who have the same goal to want to mm -hmm. win right. and are really good. Very it's true. A, that's a good point. And, and they, they had a beacon on their heads at the beginning that they were Russian or there's something, yeah. you know, uh, but, and then, you know, we got to the point, a couple of teams smuggled, players over Detroit got a great player had to smuggle them all out of there but that series changed and we had a little bit more a little better relationship between not only the two hockey federations but with the two governments guys we um we are out of time it is uh it is fascinating and it is shocking that it's been 50 years since this most memorable um series of events took place um, but we are uh, most grateful for both uh, that both of you were able to join us. Scotty, good to see you again. Um, and we wish you again good luck with the book. And uh, the coach of that team, Harry Sinden, we uh, thank you very much, Harry, and hope uh, you have uh, continued good health. And uh, we thank you for being with us today. Thank you both. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed reminiscing about that team. It was one of the great events in Canadian sports history. And it sure was. Guys, again, our thanks. Uh, we'll take the break and come back with more after these messages. And we're back to uh, wrap it for today. Our thanks again to Scott Morrison and Harry Sinden. Sir, Harry looks pretty good for, gosh, he's got to be 90, huh? I think he's around 90. Yeah. yeah. Just had a birthday. So, well, Hard to imagine that, um, you know, he still remembers all the little minutia from that series, and he does, really. And yeah. I know he he's, he thinks it's it's very important. It's one of the most important things in his life, right? Well, you, you know, we ran out of time, but when you think about winning the Stanley Cup, he was a player on that Whitby Dunlops team that he talked about in 1958. Um, and, you, you know, this is a guy that, his influence in Canadian hockey is, I think, a lot greater than people give him credit for. And the, just the fact that he was available to coach this team in 1972 because uh, he, he had already, he was in a, a contract fight with the Bruins. Who would, who would have been another choice? Do you remember? Who would have been another well, choice? Well, remember, Scotty, Scotty was just coming out of his time in St. Louis. Yeah. Uh, and so Scotty was, was certainly at the, the, the top of anybody's list. Punch had rekindled his career in Buffalo by this time. So um, th there was a few. But the fact that it happened in August, September means you really couldn't be a, an NHL coach and, right. and do this. So we got to go, Bob. Yeah. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. We thank you for watching or listening. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>